Remember, if you're going to change something, like, a, you know, your GPS, t- the first thing it tells you is where you are before you where you want to go. And the most difficult thing to do with any golfer is to experience what the heck you're actually doing now. Oh, yeah, well, change is possible, but it's not possible without getting where you are now. The Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. Hello, Senior Golfer. As many of you know, the expert guests who appear on my show, I'll often at the end ask them a couple of questions, and one of them is, Who is that one person who influenced you most in your coaching career? Second question is, what is that one golf book that you've read that was the best ever for you? And the answer to that question is in our guest today, Fred Shoemaker, who is the author of the book, Extraordinary Golf. He's also the founder of the Extraordinary Golf School. And the best way I can describe that is it's a learning community that brings together golfers, uh, amateurs, of course, professional golfers, golf coaches, professionals in business, executives in business, around the idea that they can create something extraordinary in their, in their lives and in their, in their professions and their personal lives and in, in golf. So before we introduce Fred, what I'd like to do is, is have you just sit back for a moment and imagine uh, these these questions, and they're big. They're big ones. So, number one, as a senior golfer, is it possible that you still could play your best golf ever going forward? And it's not something that is something you've already experienced in the past. Something you can look forward to. Next question: What if you could learn how to coach yourself? to play your best golf ever. You were your own best coach in doing that. And finally, what if you were able to enjoy golf more now and more going forward than you ever imagined possible? Well, I realize those are, those are big ideas, and some of you might be a little skeptical about that. But what I'd ask you to do for this particular episode and the, se- and the second one to follow, this is a two-part series. What I'd ask you to do is keep an open mind, and um, we're going to examine these issues uh, in some depth, and hopefully you'll find something in there, maybe just one nugget even, but something in there that can help you have a breakthrough, help you unlock your potential to not only play your best golf, but to help you in your personal life, and if you're still working in your professional life. So with that, I'd like to welcome Fred Shoemaker. So hey, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dean. It's actually very nice to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. And what we want to do is is talk about Extraordinary Golf, which has been your passion and involvement for how many years now? I think it's 30 plus, isn't it? Yeah, the golf school's been 30 years, and I've been coaching for 45 Fantastic. Well, I like to think most of our listeners are well aware of you, but uh, in your book, Extraordinary Golf, I think I'm going to operate on the assumption that many may not. Okay. So tell us just a bit what the difference is, ordinary versus extraordinary. Well, I think the simplest thing to say is each person is completely unique. Their body is unique, how it moves is unique, how it works, you know, the way they think and act. Now, suppose you could get a golf swing that would match that. I don't mean by somebody telling you how to, but it's about a process of discovery, the capacity to experience more than you've ever experienced before. And I think one way of talking about it could be something like, uh, Dean, if you were to ride a bicycle, what would be the one thing you'd have to discover to ride a bicycle? What would you say? Well, they got to figure out how to stay on the bike without falling off, which is probably balance. So let's say, okay, balance is crucial of riding a bicycle. And could anyone have taught you about balance? Really? Yeah, yeah. They could have told me a lot of things, but that wouldn't have made me be able to do it any better. (laughs) What what got you to have balance? Figuring it out myself. Yeah, falling. Yeah, falling. (laughs) Not wanting to fall. (laughs) 
Well, suppose there's suppose golf. There's about five things to become aware of in golf. I mean, things to experience. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's experiences these things who play a really nice game. It's where's the club face is one. Mm-hmm. You know, my swing plane, the you know, my capacity where my club and body are related to a target, the feel of that is two. And solid contact, you know, the 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 sense of when I swing, I have a trust the ball is going to be hit about the height and about the distance I want. I'm not yeah. talking about perfection. Three. Yeah. Alignment could be four. Alignment, okay. And the, the last one, are you saying alignment to the target? Yeah, okay. alignment. I mean, if you sit on the first tee and watch people line up, you have no idea where the fairway is most of the time because, <laughs> you know, feet are left, shoulders are right, and vice versa. I love it when somebody says, you know, what screwed me up is the tee boxes were not aligned to the fairway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the last one could be called letting go and freedom. Hmm. So suppose the difficulty of teaching these, like one would teach – uh, balance on a bicycle. I mean, even if you read about it, it wouldn't help you. And even if your buddy told you about balance, suppose these can only be discovered. And when you discover them, I mean, have a, having a direct experience yourself, in that moment of discovery, they're yours. And they never really disappear. You can begin to feel where the club face is like you feel your hand. Mm-hmm. And you get a sense if you hit a ball fat, what you can do in the next one not to hit it fat. Okay, suppose these things need to be discovered. That would be remarkable because those people have information and they have understanding out of it. But at some level, understanding concepts and information are the booby prize. Yeah. It's, it's the distinction of the experience itself. Hmm. And then the, the next thing, what might be extraordinary, is you have a, an environment, an environment in which people can learn. It's an, it could be an environment without evaluation or judgment, because that's my experience. I mean, we've done over a thousand golf schools. And when people really learn, when they really get something, it's safe. It's safe to explore, safe to make mistakes, to have new experiences replace old beliefs. Mm. So if that occurs where a person begins to have experiences they've never had before, if they're risking things they haven't risked before, to be able to have a sensing things they've never sensed before, that would be extraordinary. But you know that every statistic shows in golf that most people improve somewhere between the first five to seven years. And then after that, most golf games flatten out until your body breaks down. And a lot of your listeners have a little different body than they did at 30. Definitely. And then your handicap goes up. But what would be an intervention to that? You know, you said, I'm the same age you are, by the way. I just, you just happened to mention your age mm. in, in writing to us. You're 67. I'm 67. Okay. And I actually had my lowest scoring year of my life this year. And, and I played over 200 golf tournaments before I was 21 years old. I mean, just as an example. So this notion of not only can the brain keep learning. I mean, we, they have neuroplasticity now in every basic learning book. It's now saying they were lifelong learners and the brain can keep developing. But also the body can keep developing. Wow. In other words, I maybe play a little better golf than most of your listeners. Because in the two seconds it takes to swing, I experience things they don't. Mm. I mean, if a, if one of your listeners is an electrician, he walks in, he sees an electrical box, he sees things I don't. I mean, I could look at that thing and say, please help me. So I, well, he's been putting his attention to that. I've been putting my attention to feeling my golf swing and my body and the club face. And I think as that gets more and more refined, more and more subtle, my golf game develops. So the basic tenet of this whole thing you're talking about, we're talking about is your awareness, yeah. the capacity to be present to something over time is the only thing that's going to develop us. And so that's the premise. Okay. So something less than that would be more ordinary golf. Yeah, it would be like this. Um, if I said to you, Dean, when is the future? When is it? What would you say? It's anything past the present. Mm-hmm. But when's the only time you can imagine or create the future? When can you do that? Now, I guess, whatever the present moment is. So the future's not anything in the future. It's not a time. It's not a place. It's simply a thought you're having in your head right mm, now. Okay. That's all it is. All right. So if that's true, when's the past? Well, the past is uh, those experiences you've had uh, prior to the present. When's the only time you can recall those experiences? In the now. Am I getting that? No. So (laughs) 
the the futures everything is now you got that okay yeah everything is now the future is a thought you're having about another time now the past is a thought you're having about another time now that's all it is then the next question if those are true then when is the present and how is it different from those it's just a little challenging, isn't it? Yeah. How is the present different than the past and future? We know it is. But how is it? Well, it's different in that um, it doesn't need to repeat itself. It's different in that it's a blank slate, you know, kind of a, a fresh canvas. Are you sitting down right now or standing up? I am. I can do either, but I'm sitting down at the moment. And what foot is most of your weight on? I've got my feet crossed and uh, left foot. Where on the ground, where is most of your weight in your left foot? It's on the outer edge of my foot because I've got it tilted. Okay. So, so could it be said, what difference the, the, the present from the future and past is you experience the world through your senses. You experience it in this moment through, I mean, we, you were in your foot. You weren't in your head, were you? You were experiencing no. your foot. Correct. So I would say that if you call ordinary golf, it's people just live in their head. Mm. They get up to the first tee and say, if I could take it back straight, take it down from the inside, oh. so I'll follow through. As they're walking on the fairway, say, if I could par this hole, I'll be even par, but the tough ones are coming up. I could turn 39. If I get 39, I can, and away it goes. This buzz, buzz, drama, Rolodex, whatever you want to call it, is going. And the amount of time, I mean, let's suppose a golf lesson takes an hour. And in an hour, a person may hit, a, let's say, 100 balls. And in a hundred balls, each ball takes swing takes two seconds. You got right. two hundred seconds, you know, three minutes plus. And if a person is in their body, in the club, with the target for that amount of time, which they're present, they learn. People just don't learn. And I would call that very ordinary. Mm. People standing in the driving range, trying thinking about this and thinking about that, and never really experiencing the thing itself. Repeating the same old, same old, pretty much. Well. You know, the, the notion of trying, always trying to change, there's a French statement that says, says the more you try to change, the more things stay the same. Mm. Always working on something and never experiencing the really the thing itself. I mean, there, there was a guy named Tim Galway who wrote some books called The Inner Game of Tennis and The Inner Game of Golf back in the 70s. I remember him. In fact, yeah. I have one of his books. Well, I thought it was interesting. I went down to take a golf lesson. I was a co coaching golf in Santa Barbara, California, and I went to take a lesson from him. Because I play, you know, I was what twenty seven years old, and I've mm -hmm. been pretty stuck with my golf game. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, "What do you want?" Wow, which is a good question. That is a good question. And I said, "I would like to be the best that I can be. I want to reach my potential." And he said, "You sound like an advertisement." <laughs> yes. <laughs> you actually ever thought about it? it? Yeah. And I said, "You know, I've been doing the same thing in my golf game for since I can remember, and it's never changed." He says, what are you doing? And I said, when I get up to the top of the swing, on my right hand, my middle finger and my ring finger kind of come off the shaft, and I turn the face a little bit, and I come down. And I said, it changes my club face and changes my divot pattern and so forth. And it happens not always the same each time. And he says, one fatal question, how do you know you do it? Mm. I said, well, people have told me. I've seen it on these, even the old videos, my, my, and I see my divots. He said, have you ever experienced it? One time in your life, ever have your hands come off and really sensing it happen? Hmm. Now, this is you know, 22 years into golf. I started when I was four years old. Yeah. And I said, uh, no, I never have. So he said something that was completely unique. He said, how about instead of trying to change it, could you actually experience it? And hmm. that was like you know, fingernails on a blackboard. It was a bad thing. I don't want to do the bad thing. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. I started swinging, and he said, are you holding your fingers on? I said, yeah. He said, stop it. Just let them do what they want. Remember, if you're going to change something, like a, you know, your GPS, the first thing it tells you is where you are before you, you want to go. And the most difficult thing to do with any golfer is to experience what the heck you're actually doing now. Oh, yeah, well, change is possible, but it's not possible without getting where you are now. So he says that, and at some point, I finally just said, just swing and see if you can, I can actually pay attention. And for the first time in my life, I actually felt my fingers let go. He said, there it is. I said, wow, wow, it's amazing. 
And we watched that for 45 minutes. I did bigger ones and smaller ones and so forth. And an interesting thing, after 45 minutes, I noticed my fingers stayed on with kind of a little constant pressure without trying. Mm-hmm. And they never moved once since after moving for as long as I can remember. Wow. And I left that lesson wondering, what the heck just happened? Because I was going to ask you, why were you able to do that? Well, at that point, I didn't know. But human beings have a remarkable capacity to learn and to change. And what thwarts that capacity, the greatest barrier to it is judgment. And I mean good and bad and right and wrong and should and shouldn't and better than and worse than. Yeah. And I always viewed those things as bad and the other was good and just could I stop it and hold on. When I could get to a point where I could simply observe something without a judgment, it's the most amazing things I've ever seen happen. Hmm. Young could. I probably had the club face open, and somehow I lift my fingers and turn the face once, and a pattern starts, and I get a square shot out of it for once. And my body kind of recognizes that and keeps going like that. But as an adult, more powerful and so forth, it wasn't at all useful to me. It was just an unseen habit. It got to me what was useful, that human beings, you and I, in golf swings or in life or in anything, have blind spots. There are areas in which we do not experience. You know, like the guy at the party who's always doing humor inappropriately, <laughs> you know? He doesn't know that no one wants to hear that joke, but he does it because somewhere in the past, when he did it, he got recognized or something. We're all trying to be recognized. Anybody doesn't realize how inappropriate it is at the time. So we have blind spots. And the difference between golf professionals, as far as I can tell, and amateurs is that the professionals seem to have smaller and fewer blind spots. They can feel more subtly where the club face is. They can sense when the club goes over plane, on plane, under plane, and when the club is related to their body or just separate from their body. So that gets back to the distinctions part of it, which I wrote down as I was listening. It's those fine distinctions, finer distinctions that can lead to more yes. extraordinary experiences. Yes, a distinction could be said to be something like balance in a bicycle. Mm-hmm. You get an aha moment out of a direct experience, like, wow, there it is. And when that happens, the body can amazingly learn what's going on. And so after that lesson, my entire golf life shifted. I mean, I didn't know it was going to shift at that point, but it did. I wonder what awareness is missing, the presence of which would make a difference. That's all. Yeah, so it, in a nutshell, the more aware we are of what our swing is, the more we can, in a sense, coach ourselves and make some changes that could be extraordinary. So the first thing is to get it into your radar, to sense what's going on. As I said, I've been doing this all my adult life, basically. Yeah. And it's come to the point where I realize I don't see anything wrong with golf swings anymore. And if you say that to a group of golf professionals, I think you're an idiot. Hmm. But I actually don't. When I look at a person, what I see is that a person has blind spots and then they have solutions they've made up after the blind spot. And I'll say, so let's suppose the person swings the club up to the top and the club face is wide open. That's a blind spot. Right. Okay. So the next thing a person's going to do is come down across the ball to kind of cut slice it so they can keep it in play, but they only hit their driver 160 versus the possible 220 they could hit. <laughs> And the second thing they might do, since it's wide open, is to leave the body back to give it more time to shut the face. It would be brilliant. However, if you do that, you're always liable to to hitting it fat. So they learn to pull up a little bit, leave their body back, and kind of clip, pick it off the ground, which you can do unless you have a really good line most of the time. What you have is you have a blind spot, and then all the solutions the body brilliantly makes up. See, the body never does a stupid thing. It's always, always brilliant. It doesn't lift up because it's stupid. It lifts up because of what you don't experience. The next thing down the line means I have to lift up and even just to play. People don't get chicken wings because it's the problem. Chicken wings are the solution. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it sounds like blind leading the blind here a bit and then coming up with compensations that uh, may work in one swing and then you think you've got it. But you quickly find out that, nope, that, that wasn't the answer. And you go round and round and round trying to fix something that you desperately want to fix something that you think is broken, but you're, you're fooling yourself on what you're doing to try to fix it. And then we're fooling ourselves about fooling ourselves. 
This is the only thing that's truly foolish. Which becomes madness. <laughs> but, but in some level, we all do it. Yeah. And the capacity to experience how it all got put together. You know, I can once let's suppose, you know, you take somebody who has a, you know, a, a swing that goes really long and goes crosses the line and they don't experience that because they think their club, their swings, you know, a certain spot and the club goes two feet longer. Yeah. Then, it, then it's never in sync, no matter what they do to try to get it in sync. And then one day they decide to rush the club head down and they hit it pretty well that day. But then all of a sudden, a whole new thing crops up. When they rush the club face down, the face doesn't release well. And a whole new thing, and they go down that direction. There is no way out other than just say, okay, can I just stop the whole mess for a while? And begin to just look. One of the simplest ways is just take a pause on this a second. How many people do you see on a driving range actually filming themselves? You know, putting a little camera behind, attaching their bag. Yeah, very few is the answer. Let's suppose that 1% of people film themselves. And the question is, why not? So the question I ask myself is, why don't people film themselves? And it became, after you know a while, one of the answers is, because we're afraid of accurate feedback. Hmm. We really are. I mean, if, if you know, you've done enough work with business people, how many people in the business world say, what do you see in me that I might not see in myself? Oh, yeah. They're, they're threatened. I'll ask you to be honest with me. I will take whatever you say as a gift. You almost never hear that. People, you know, surround themselves with people who generally tell them what they want to hear. Getting out of your box, swinging at half speed, swinging with your eyes closed. All of these things really help awareness. But you almost see no one in the driving range doing anything but hitting pretty much at full speed, looking at the ball, whether to be happy or sad by the ball flight, and then trying to make adjustments to what they see. The odds in that producing a breakthrough are not zero, but they're as close to zero as you can get. So it sounds like you're, you're uh, starting to offer a few of the, the, the better how-tos in terms of how to get greater acuity, greater awareness, uh, closing your eyes when you're swinging. We do that a lot with, uh, when we're coaching kids in the first tee. We let them putt with their eyes closed to try to judge distance and try to judge yes. feel. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty interesting uh, to watch. Uh, but it sounds like th that's where, where you're headed a little bit. Uh, awareness as a concept, I think we can all get. Yeah, we'd all like to have more awareness. But we also, I think, can assume, because you said that most learning stops after about five or seven years, and we're talking senior golfers. So a lot of us have been playing for 30, 40 plus years. We may have been repeating the same sort of ordinary golf uh, scenarios for many, many years and difficult to try to get out of that. Of course. You know, change is always remarkably difficult. Well, let's put it this way. It's uncommon. Hmm. But how often do you see a golfer? Let's say I can hit my drive about, let's say, 275. That's pretty good. How often do you see golfers hitting a ball half the distance that they're capable of intentionally in order to slow down and go smaller to feel what they're doing? Very it's so few. rare, yeah. but I've never been able to implement on my own a swing new awareness at a, at a high rate of speed. I mean, I always started about 30% yeah. and I close my eyes. Sometimes I even just swing in the garage. Mm -hmm. see, you know, I have a nice little setup there to see if I can sense what I'm doing. And then I go a little faster and then I use a camera or a mirror or my shadow or something. So you got to the point that I start to crave accurate feedback. Yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to fool myself. I'm tired of it. Yeah. And would it, what would that take? Most people don't like seeing their golf swings because when they look at it, they get the uh-oh effect. And most of they're saying, I would rather put my head in the sand and hope for the best than see the reality of what I'm doing. And I understand that. Yeah, it could be. The, the thought popped in my head that it could be because I talk to a lot of seniors as you do. Uh, but you're talking to them with a different uh, perspective. But when I'm talking to them, I often hear, you know, I kind of have been doing it this way for a long time. And, and to change, I just don't want to go through that. It's going to take too long. It's going to be too difficult. And, I, you know, I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at. And yes. it's kind of their way of saying that they don't trust that any sort of effort to try to change will do anything but screw them up. Makes total sense. I, I agree with that 100%. To break that, what? To, yeah, to, to break that. Suppose they think differently. When when we get out 
on, on a golf driving range in a group on the first day. We'll do some videos of them, but we'll also video them doing something that they've done since they were a kid, throwing a ball, throwing a club, mm-hmm. hitting a ball that's rolling, some reaction response video. I've had the, actually the pleasant experience of probably observing 40,000 people watching them watch their video. Wow. What do, what do they see? Well, when, when people look at their normal video, they always look at something's wrong, and they always think that's not right, and I should fix that. That's normal human being be- behavior, no problems. But when they look at themselves throwing a club, they see a sequence of events or how the body and club move together that they almost rarely ever see when they hit a golf ball. You see, the, what gets through this resignation and this complacency is if it works really well for people, what they come back to is being themselves. Something that's instinctual for them, something that works for their body. See, change, real change in golf is coming back to your instincts and having seen not only is it good enough, but it's the best you can be. Nobody throws something forward leaning on their back foot. Never. Nobody comes over the top tossing something. These are things that have been learned and adapted to, but it's not who people are. See, people think they're going to change into whatever the latest fad is. I mean, all, you know, I'm not going to mention them, but we can go all the way back to the oh, yeah. 1970s, one theory after another. Right. And they're yeah. basically, I agree with them. Don't put another theory on me. My body's unique. And they get to the point, instead of saying, how does it work? They say, I, well, I just, this is just what I got. I'm just hanging out with it and doing the best I can. That form of resignation has to be pierced. And what pierces through it is the capacity for a person to realize not only can they develop themselves, but they can develop themselves as being their own coach. Yeah. That, wow. That, I think that in itself would be gold for anyone listening to this podcast is the promise and the possibility that they could become their own best coach and be able to make changes in creative ways that they've never imagined they could ever do before, but now are able to do it. And it sounds like that's a possibility. One of the things is that not only coaching the game, but you coach learning how to learn. I mean, that may be important than the thing you're learning. Because if you really get how to learn, you can take it through any area of the game. So could that be like a first step in this awareness process is learning you how to learn? You bet it is. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, we're taught in school what to learn, but we're never taught how to learn. So let's, let's dive into that a bit. Learning how to learn. I'll, I'll say that I'm a continuous learner, or at least I have a passion for continuous learning. Yes. doesn't necessarily mean I've learned how to learn effectively. Maybe that's why I keep jumping from one topic to the next over time. But what are some of those critical things people can do to learn how to learn? Well, the first thing is to cultivate a state of curiosity. Yeah. It's instead of right and wrong, just simply being curious. And the next thing is to make the process far more fascinating than the product. So we've done a program for 10 years. So we have a sense of these are eight people who have put themselves up on six months to see what can develop in their game. It's a big commitment on their part. It's very interesting. Uh, As far as I can tell, we're the only group in America doing this. So what is it to explore a path of mastery of a game you'll never master? Hmm. And what are you finding? I find that when people fall in love with the process of learning, when they hit shots, and it's more interesting to them how the club face experience was when the, when the ball, where the ball went. And they can miss hit a shot, and it doesn't shake the tree. They're fine with it because they know it's part of the process. And they develop a remarkable relationship to failing and to succeeding because success of a shot can take you away as fast as failing can. When they have that and they fall in love with the whole thing, that makes all the difference then every practice session can be an opportunity. And they, they are on a path of mastery, as I said, of a game you're not going to. Yeah. But being on a path and knowing each day you can grow is the most satisfying place people say they can be. So how does someone who, who says, okay, Fred, this sounds good. I'd like to experiment with that. But in between, I'm a senior golfer. I've got buddies. I've got friends. Uh, I'm going to be playing a lot. I'm not going to give that up. And I don't necessarily want to make these changes while I'm playing. So how do I balance that idea of experimenting and being curious in practice, but 
as I'm kind of failing and learning how to fail, I don't want to fail when I'm placing those little $2 bets on, uh, you know, uh, the half nine and the back nine and yes. failing and embarrassing myself in, along the way. Yeah, I'll get to that. But one of the first things, come on, give yourself a break. Take a risk one time on the golf course <laughs> rather than this, you know, this this notion that my ego, every line, and I got to make sure I keep my self-image up and my self-concept up. I want to dominate, not be dominated. The whole baloney that we learn from TV golf has nothing to do with the golf that most people play. To play for the joy of play, experimentation sometimes, the capacity to create something. The ability to, you know, be in a in a competitive event without making it be personal. See, if competition, winning competition elevates you, where must you feel you are before you started? I mean, so just yeah. the logic of it. So sometimes you just got to get a perspective. So, okay, put we'll put that aside for now. But take a video of yourself and simply look at that video inside of I. what's on that video that I don't experience. Yeah. I have no idea the club came so far inside, something like that. And then go out to a driving range, say, for once in my life, instead of trying to, you know, make things right, can I just experience what I'm doing? Can I experience inside? I can experience straight back. I can experience outside. Let's to feel what's happening and see if it makes any difference at all. So you put your attention in a blind spot. You slow down. You go at less speed, maybe less distance, and see if you can actually pick it up. Pick it up, mean have the experience without a fantasy of what's actually happening in that place. It's not hard. It's not at all. It's just different. Yeah. And the most difficult thing is to hit a bucket of balls and not try to fix everything. Just you need to be present to things and observe things. So that's the challenge. We are just in this habit of every day people are working on something. And they end up pretty much with the same swing they did, you know, two years after and still working on stuff. Well, you, t you talk about in your book that it, that's the culture of golf is you, yes. you assume something's wrong if you don't have a shot the way it, if it goes the way you want it to go. And there's something wrong with your swing and you need to fix it. And you need to fix it right now because you don't want it to happen again. And it goes on and on and on. Another way of saying it is I have something going on in my swing that I don't experience it. If there is a need, I need to experience it. That's it. You could study tap dancing your whole life. I put Novocaine in your feet. You're never going to tap dance. <laughs> I don't care how much you know about it and how much you understand it and how many tap dancing YouTube videos you've seen. You're not going to dance. And the difference between I've had a chance to work with to players at all different levels, people who play for a living and people who just started. And the difference is always. Players at different levels, at a greater level, have greater awareness of what's going on Yeah, in the moment, in the present, not in the future past. So my job as a coach is to have a person spend more time in the present moment when we're together than they normally would, because that's the only time you can learn is now, in this moment. And if you're in the past and the future... No, it's it's normal for people to do. They hit a good shot and they think if I could hit it like this tomorrow, playing with the guys, blah, 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 fill in the blank. And they, when they hit one shank, they think, oh, my God, if I did this tomorrow, it's so rare that we're, you see, if you take a normal golf swing, people usually start out with a key swing thought, take it back in one piece. So we're not in the backswing, we're in the thought. Right. We take it back to the top of the swing, and at the top of the swing, we focus on make sure you hit the ball. We rarely feel a downswing because we're so concerned about impact. And an impact, when we hit it, it's all judgment, good or bad, and we look at the sky to see if my, my fragile ego is intact still <laughs> by where the ball goes. And given that a shot is like that, almost in no time are we present in the shot, feeling the club, feeling your body. I mean, there's in golf, there's about four things that are real i mean the, my the club is real i can touch it the ball is real my body is real and the environment is real everything else is just a thought i mean they're real thoughts but they have no substance to them so just get out of your head it's a dangerous place to be man you, you get beat up in there oh yeah and i hear people say you know I'm, I'm, I'm in my head too much but how do you catch yourself and stop it Awareness sounds like a key, but are there some other things you can do to stop that cycle and yes. get back to 
in the now and in the moment? Well, we do an exercise in the golf school. We put a ball right at the edge of the cup and have a person put it in. We ask him, was there any fear or doubt putting a putt one inch? I says, no. Like, what? Well, you know, it's, it's of course not. Then I he said, how would you know? Nobody you misses had- that one. I would, I, I would imagine. hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. And then we ask them, how would you know if you had fear or doubt? The person thinks about it a while and usually they come to, well, I would have certain body sensations and I'd have thoughts in my head. That's all doubt and fear are. Yeah. So we move the ball back further and further. I went and asked them, can you tell me the first moment those things arise? It's usually somewhere about a foot to 18 inches. And the thought comes in, if I miss this, miss hit this, I'm going to look foolish yeah. if I miss it. Now, I don't want that thought to come in. I mean, if I had my choice, I'd never have those thoughts. Now, I'm going to give you basically, this is 30 years of working on this. It won't sound like much, but it's all I got. Okay. Fire away. What have we got? is the only thing you can do with a thought that comes into your head that's unwanted, which is most of them are. I mean, Stanford basically said, a research paper said we have 56,000 separate thoughts in a day and 55,500 of the same ones we had yesterday. (laughs) Uh, So we're just a loop loop tape, loop tape. So when a thought comes in, mine usually has something to do about being admired or looking good or not being embarrassed. Mm -hmm. The, the, The variations are pretty much the same. Yeah. So if I'm doing a, a demonstration of a bunch of people and I have a two-foot putt, my mind would say, you better make sure you make it. Yeah, I'm the pro. I can't miss this. Now, I've been now played for 63 years, and it's basically said that as long as I could ever remember. It's like a comedian with one bad joke. At some point, you have to realize it's going to say that stuff for the rest of your life. And the only thing you can do with it that makes all the difference for me is let it alone and go back to what you intend. Stop. Get your hands out of the machinery, man. My mind's nuts, just like yours and everyone else's. It chatters about all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, it's constantly talking at me. And, you know, one of our coaches has been coaching meditation hmm. for 45 years. His name's Marshall. Mm-hmm. So when Marshall speaks to a group about the mind, this isn't like a guy in a bar, okay? This is a guy who spent his life looking at it. Yeah. And he says the, the purpose of meditation is not for quieting the mind. The purpose of meditation is for witnessing the mind, the capacity to experience, oh, it just said, don't miss. And you could say to the mind, thank you very much for sharing that, but I choose to go somewhere else right now, back to the target or the putter face or something. See, until you can get that you've been taken away from the present moment, there's no possibility of coming back. Great players are simply people who come back more quickly. Yeah. I mean, to talk to enough people on tour, they have the same thoughts as you and me. You know, you get to the first tee and the tour player may say, geez, if I pull hook this one, I'm going to look like an idiot in front of a thousand people. Or you get on the first tee with your local group and you think if I top it, I'll look silly in front of these three guys. It's no different. We're all human. And the, the difference between them and regular folks is when that thought comes in, they just don't go there. They don't chase it. They come back to their intent. The intent could be, I'm, I'm, I'm shaping a ball to that target. They're committed to that over committed to listening and buying into the voice in their head. So, well, this is, well, profound to say the least, thought-provoking for sure. And while easy to understand, I'm sensing difficult to to do. I mean, difficult to, to get into the practice, of the habit and the practice of doing that. Well, that's the only thing that's worth practicing in terms of really going to make a difference in forwarding your golf game. So that completes part one of our interview with Fred Shoemaker. We'll have part two that'll be released as episode 016, and that'll be coming out in just about a week. So I hope you uh, were as fascinated with that conversation as I was. And uh, the information that was shared, which was in some ways probably very eye-opening and uh, really gets you to think. And much of that information uh, is coming directly from his book, his uh, legendary book, Extraordinary Golf, The Art of the Possible. And in that, it'll go into all the topics we talked about today, about awareness, about coaching yourself with greater awareness, uh, being completely in the moment, uh, dealing with frustration, that and, and some of the other things we talked about. 
He's even got a section in the book in the coaching chapter on how to coach your spouse. And uh, for those of you who like to play couples golf, coaching sometimes can work, sometimes not so well. So he gives some very good wisdom and sage advice on how best to coach your spouse when you're playing or when you're just practicing on the practice tee. I think you'll find that very interesting and very helpful. He also, uh, for those of you who might have grandkids uh, or, or your own kids that you're uh, working with in their golf game, uh, he gives, some again, some very good insight, very good wisdom on how to introduce children to golf, how to introduce kids to golf, but do it in a way that they love the game and that they have the most fun from the game. So I think you'll get a lot out of that. So again, the book, which I'd highly recommend for everybody, Extraordinary Golf, The Art of the Possible. It's not really your typical dry instructional book. You're going to get a lot out of this that's more than just about golf itself. We move on to the special offer this week for our episode with Fred Shoemaker. Many of you out there are visual learners. You actually like to see things in action. And so this is perfect for you. It's a limited offer, but Fred and his team are going to offer for the first 25 individuals, you'll get free in perpetuity access to his video streaming uh, video called Extraordinary Golf, The Secret of Transforming Your Game. It's Hollywood movie quality video. It's very, very well done. And uh, what you'll get is an opportunity for a front row seat to uh, get exposed to many of these concepts that you heard about in the interview, about how to find your natural swing, how to coach yourself, how to get the most out of practice. And he does it in a couple of ways. One is he um, has a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with Michael Tucker, who was the actor in the very famous uh, L.A. Law series. He's a senior golfer just like us. And uh, so he comes to Fred for a one-on-one -on -one coaching session, and you will see transformation take place as you watch this. Michael has the same sort of issues that most of us have in terms of getting the best ball contact, uh, enjoying the game, and uh, not getting so flustered when he's not playing very well. You'll see Fred coach him through all of this. And what's amazing is the transformation that takes place right before your eyes as you're watching these videos. And there's, there's 10 uh, episodes with, uh, cover about two hours, so uh, you can watch them in, in segments. But you'll watch Michael, first of all, discover his natural swing, the swing that he can perform already, but he just doesn't know he can do it. And uh, you'll watch him develop this incredibly rhythmic motion that's not hard on his body and he's making great ball contact and he's making consistent ball contact and you're and you're looking at this saying you know this could be me <laughs> I could be doing this myself and you're understanding how Fred actually helps individuals figure this out for themselves and that's what extraordinary golf is all about figuring out your own best swing so you can coach yourself figuring out how to enjoy the game at the optimal possible way so that you can continue to coach yourself to enjoy the game. So I think you'll find this incredibly interesting and incredibly valuable. He also, in some of the chapters, takes you inside the look of, a, of an actual group session. And this is a group of individuals that look like they're senior golfers to me. He singles one of them out and works with them in, in some of the same concepts he was working with Michael. And this person is absolutely amazed at what they are able to do almost instantly. And secondly, how they're able to swing in such a way that it's effortless and it's not hard on the body and they're still making tremendous contact. He goes into how to make great ball contact with both of these individuals, both Michael Tucker and the other individual that uh, he works with out of the group session. So I think you're going to really enjoy how this is put together. You're going to enjoy the way Fred brings out the best game that we have inside of us so that we can actually produce it on a consistent basis. How about that? And I think you're going to walk away with it being able to coach yourself better than you've ever been able to before. So for the first 25 of you, that go to the website, theseniorgolferadvisor.com. I will give you the button that'll be right there. You go to theseniorgolferadvisor.com, go to the podcast episode tab, 
click on the read more uh, red button there, not red, but the lettering. That'll take you to the section where the button is, the Extraordinary Golf special offer. Click on that and provide us the detail information. We will get you access to the online streaming video of this Extraordinary Golf, The Secret to Transforming Your Game. I know you're going to get a lot out of it, and hopefully you'll be one of the first 25 to take advantage of that. So we move now to the listener spotlight, and today I'm happy to uh, have our very first female golfer uh, featured on the listener spotlight. Her name is Pat. Pat is uh, 60 year old, just turned 60 year old uh, this year, and uh, she's been playing golf since her uh, late 20s. She's not one of those who started as a child. She got into it in in her adulthood, and she's been loving it ever since. She uh, plays today at a 19 USGA index. Uh, She drives the ball uh, about 160 yards on the carry and rolls out to about 170. So she's a good player. And um, she uh, asked her a couple questions, which I think I'll be asking more in the future listener spotlights. Uh, One is, why do you play golf? And she just simply said, boy, I love and am fascinated with the swing. And when everything works and comes together, in her words, it's just golden. It's a great feeling. And uh, the other reason she stated was that she's always been challenged by, uh, she loves the challenges of the game, uh, the many challenges, both in terms of uh, you know, playing it consistently, but also the challenges uh, of, of playing with you know, lots of things that happen in the environment. Uh, for example, it could be uh, the weather, it could be wind, it could be a talkative partner. Uh, it could be any of those things. And, and she has uh, worked, for, worked on it for many years to not get distracted by all of that. When I asked her about you know, what her strengths are in her game, she said, well, I can play with anybody. Uh, today, I don't get first tee jitters like I used to. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much uh, when uh, there's noise or distractions around me. Uh, I just enjoy the process uh, rather than the results. And I'm really fascinated by how that helps me Uh, with my perspective. And so golf is a journey for me, she says. It's not about the results. It's about the process. And you can always improve, she says, uh, through exercise, through working on your game, and uh, just having sort of a different mindset when you play. And she still likes to play some competitive. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. I asked her about what does she do to enjoy the game outside of playing it? And she said, I am a volunteer for the Washington State Golf Association. And what I do is I help provide the data that goes into course ratings and slope ratings. So again, a great way for seniors or, or really anyone to, to get involved and stay involved in the game outside of actually playing it. And, and, and so enrich yourself and, and learn about the game. So here's what she said was interesting. What the USGA guidelines um, require is that uh, one of the things you do is you look at the average distance for a bogey player, the average distance for a scratch player, and you look at uh, where the ball lands and where the rollout is in terms of level of difficulty. And it's things like hazards, OB, penalties, uh, how tall is the rough, how wide is the fairway. And then they also look at things like as you approach the green, uh, how sloped is it, how tiered is it, what's the challenges if you miss the green. So all of that goes into the slope rating. And uh, there's very specific things that she has to observe and look at, goes into an algorithm and ultimately spits out those course ratings and, and, um, and slope ratings that we see for every course. Now, something else that's interesting. The USGA has studied this and they continue to study it. And they have the average distance for a bogey player. That's a player who shoots about 90 uh, on that course. And also a scratch player. That's somebody who's playing to the course rating. And here's what they, here's the data. For female golfers, the average distance is 130 yards with a rollout of 150. For a scratch female golfer, 190 yard carry, rollout to about 210. For male golfers, uh, as a scratch golfer, I'll go that in reverse. The average distance is 230 yards carry and the average rollout to about 250. And for a bogey player, again, somebody who shoots about 90 in that range, 180 yard carry, 200 yard rollout. So they've been studying this for a number of years. It really hasn't changed much at all in the last 20 years, which I find 
very interesting given all of the technology changes in clubs and, and golf balls. The, do, the distances really haven't changed that much. So I think it, it bodes for an opportunity uh, to continue to learn how to make better contact and swing the club more freely. All of that's going to help your game. Today, Pat plays pretty much for the camaraderie. Uh, it's more social than anything. She loves uh, fun with the group and uh, enjoys the game uh, from that perspective. Her tip of the day was uh, to check out the book Limitless Mind. That's by an author named Joe Bowler. It's a, it's a female author. Her first name is Joe, J-O, Bowler, B-O-A-L-E-R, Limitless Mind, which fits in beautifully with the theme of the Senior Golfer Advisor, where we believe that seniors should not ever limit themselves. They can play golf just as well as they have when they were much younger. They can enjoy the game perhaps far more than they ever have, and they can continue to improve both in their uh, their physical ability, but also in their mental ability. And in this book, A Limitless Mind, it's about learning, it's about leading, and it's about living without barriers. And part of that is learning how to make mistakes, because when you don't make mistakes, you don't learn. Again, which was part of our theme today in episode 015 with Fred Shoemaker. So if you want to be part of the listener spotlight going forward, love to have you. All you need to do is go to the Contact Dean tab uh, where you can uh, uh, tell your story and give me some basic information, your name and uh, email address. Uh, go into as much detail as you can. Uh, this is not meant to be uh, getting you on our marketing list. That won't happen. But it really does give you the opportunity to share your journey to share what excites you about golf and what you're working on so that we all can learn together. It builds community and uh, we all can learn together from that. So thank you for Pat, for being part of the listener spotlight, and we hope to have you as one of our future guests. So with that, always keep swinging and remember to enjoy the game. Thanks for listening. <laughs>